we are digging into Romans, the book of Romans, and we've parked it in Romans chapter 6, which is one of the most amazing chapters. And actually, we've been in Romans 6, verses 1 to 14 for several weeks now, and I'm going to stay there one more week today because I want us to look at one little verse that wraps this whole passage up. We're going to focus all of our attention on verse 14 of Romans chapter 6 because I think this one little verse has an amazing truth tucked down into it that I want you to see. So before we dig into that one verse, I want you to get the context and I want you to have an idea of how we got to verse 14. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Oh, I hope you have a Bible. You're going to be sorry if you don't because we're going to jump back and forth between two books today. We're going to use Romans and we're going to use Galatians back and forth to really see some fantastic stuff that many people stay confused about sometimes their whole lives. I hope there will be some clarity today from God's word on a most important issue from these two books. But we'll start with Romans chapter 6. You follow along as I read verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be, what, to sin? Do we still sin? But you don't have to be a slave to sin, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once. For all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Look at me. And hopefully you can almost say this with me, right? We've been here before. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. Oh God, we pray that you would teach us from your word. Change us. We're not here for an academic exercise. We're not here for some mental jousting. We're not here to just toy with words. We are here because we desperately need to know the truth of your word because truth sets you free. And your word is alive. 
Your word is alive and has life-changing power. Oh God, right now, by your spirit, cause your word to run and be glorified in this place. Do your good work in us. By your grace and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at verse 14 again. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Sounds great, doesn't it? And every time I read it to you, I've tried to read it with great gusto. I hope you've sensed that, that I try to get really excited right that moment. Because I am convinced the truth of that verse right there should rock your world. But I know there's some of you that are probably still thinking. Every time I get animated right there. Okay, but what does that mean, Brad? What does it mean that you're no longer under law, but under grace? And how do I know he's talking about me? Who, who does that apply to? Who's he describing in verse 14? Well, those are some great questions. And that's what I want to answer in this message for you today. So first of all, let me help you a little bit with who is verse 14 talking to? Who does it apply to? Who is he describing? Let's settle that. I want to help you there. Listen, let me be absolutely clear. In verse 14, Paul, the apostle, penning this to the church at Rome, by the Holy Spirit, is talking to Christians and Christians only. Only. Because only Christians who have put their trust in Christ have moved from the condition of under law to under grace. But listen to me. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're not a Christian, you're just checking it out or you're unsure, listen to me. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Don't check out. You get to listen in on a conversation that I hope will encourage believers and give clarity to them as to who they really are in Christ. But I hope it will cause you to understand better what is really Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? And I hope you'll hear because it's going to be here today. This could be you. This could be you. You could have this today by God's grace. You can have this. You're not an outsider just looking in and we're special people. We're better. We're not better at all. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and I want you to hear about grace today. So I'm so glad you are here. All of you, Christians and those that might not be Christians. Good news for all of you. But I want you to understand, verse 14 is not talking about everybody. It's talking about Christians. Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you need to realize you're still, I love you, listen, I love you, but if you're not a Christian, you are still a slave to sin, and you're under law. You didn't have to sign up for it. That's where we start, by birth. We're all in that condition. Slaves to sin, under law, under law, under law, because sin and law go together. They run hand in hand. They feed off of each other. Sin and law, sin and law, sin and law. So that is your condition if you're not a Christian. So let me give you a moment to think right now then. I want to ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Really? Are you a Christian? I'm not talking about whether or not you go to church. Hello, here you are. I'm not talking about whether you go to a good church. Bam. I'm not even talking about whether you listen to the sermon. Maybe you hang in there all the way to the end, even though they're so doggone long. So much longer than the homily I had at the Catholic church growing up. Yeah, but this is good stuff. It takes a little while longer to unpack some of these things. That's not what I'm talking about. That doesn't make you a Christian. 
Maybe you grew up in a Christian home going to church and you had a, a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather who spoke spiritual truth into your life and they loved the Lord Jesus with all their heart. I want you to set all of that aside right now. It's just you and God. And I want you to answer the question, are you a Christian, really? And your answer should not have anybody else in it, anyone else around you. They can't do this for you. It's not based on anything else, anybody else around you in your life. Are you a Christian, really? Are you born, have you been born again? That's what the Bible talks about in John 3. And when you're born again, you have a new appetite for the things of God. Whereas before, you're just dead to it. You don't, you don't want it. It has no taste to you. You don't want it. I don't want the things of God. Do you have a new appetite for the things of God? Do you have new eyes so that you see the world differently than you used to? Do you have a heart that wants to follow the Lord Jesus and please him and love him? You're not perfect. You still fall and fail and stumble. But you have a heart that wants to follow Jesus, that wants to love him and please him. And You've got a new freedom that you never had before to say no to sin. You don't always say no to sin as you should, but you got some freedom you didn't used to have. Those are the things that happen in someone's life when they've been saved, born again, converted, and moved from under law to under grace. I'm asking you, do you have any of that in your life? Are you a Christian? And if you say, yeah, that's me. All right, and if you're saying, I don't think so, don't leave me. Stay with me for the rest of the message because I want you to listen in on what it really means to be moved from under law to under grace. But if you say, yeah, that's me. I am a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a believer. I've been converted. Then I want to take the rest of this message to help you to understand what it means to no longer be under law but under grace. And to do that, we're going to have to go back And make sure we're clear on what was the purpose for the law. Why did God give us the law? What's the original purpose and design? What did God have in mind for it? And like I mentioned, I want to jump back and forth between two books. So go ahead and mark in your Bible, Romans, and then find Galatians. We're going to go back and forth. And oh, it's going to be so good because I want you to see it. You're going to be sorry if you can't see this. Pull it up on an app. And I really feel bad for you. Apps, you just can't go fast back and forth. I'm sorry. It's cooler But you'll still be looking for the verse, and we've moved on. We're two verses past you, and you're still like scrolling, looking, looking, looking. Go old school. Bring a Bible with paper. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to do that anymore in the new year. Bible or app. Either way, it's fine with me. But I suggest Bible. So mark those Romans and Galatians, because we're going to jump back and forth. Because here's the deal. Paul wrote them both. And, and the book of Galatians actually is a detailed explanation of Romans 6.14, the difference between under law and under grace. That is a marvelous book, Galatians, that's all about what's the difference between grace and law and what's the role of law in our lives. And once you come to Christ, is there any place for law now? And what happens if you go back to law? Great book about law and grace that gives greater insights and clarity on verse 14 in Romans 6. So we're going to use both of these. So here's what I want to do today. With the time that remains, I want to give you three purposes from the Bible. What I see from the Bible for the law. Don't hear me saying these are the only purposes. This is not an exhaustive message. There are some other purposes for the law. But I've chosen three that I think will give the most clarity as to how should a Christian now relate to the law. What is the role of the law in your life, all right? I'm going to show you three purposes for the law. Number one, 
The law was meant to control us, but it can never change us. It can never change us. It was meant to control us, but can never change us. Only Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel can change you from the inside out. The law was just meant to control you to some degree with external threats and pressure and boundaries. In other words, get this. The law serves the same purpose as a speed limit sign on the interstate or highway, which for someone, some of you just means absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> the law just serves the same purpose as a speed limit sign, 65 miles per hour. Can that sign change you? But to some degree, it can control you, and it was meant to put your driving habits in check to some degree, out of fear, guilt, From the outside. But it cannot change you from the inside. You see the law. Get this. The law has no power to change you. We're too big a mess. A list of do's and don'ts would never get it done folks. No way. A legal code or system of regulations. Could never break our hard hearts. And could never shake the grip that sin has on us. The stranglehold that sin has on us from birth. Law could never Break your hard heart and law could never shake the grip the sin has on you. Never. Now, also, don't hear what I'm not saying. All the way through this message, don't hear me just kicking and beating up on law to where you walk out of here and say, law's bad. Law's bad. Law's law's not bad. You just better understand its purpose. Use it the way God intended and it is essential and it is good. But don't try to do with the law what God never designed for it to do. All right? So it's not bad. And Paul's going to answer that in Romans 7 when he's going to say, well, is the law bad? No. He's going to go into more detail. But right now, I want you to get this first point. Law was meant to control us, but could never change us from the inside out. Never, ever, ever. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians. And look at what I'm talking about. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith. He repeats himself for a reason because it takes us a while to get it. We're justified by faith, by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, I want you to look at that verse, take a hard look at it, especially towards the end. And I want you to answer a couple questions I'm going to ask you. Look at that verse. How many people, according to this verse, God's word, how many people have ever been saved keeping the law? Nobody. How many people have ever been changed from the inside out by keeping the law? How many people have ever been justified, made right with the God of the universe and his righteousness applied to their account so that they're forgiven, no condemnation, no wrath, no guilt, through the law? How many? Ever, 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 ever. But now let let me ask you a more important question. That verse does not just tell us what it can't do and what you can't, how you can't get the righteousness of God. It tells us how you do. It tells us how you do get the righteousness of God. What does it say? And it's, it's amazing to me that it's right there in that verse how confused people are and how often they get this wrong when God's word has it right there. How does he tell us you do Become justified and right with God. By what? 
by faith in Christ. There that we might be justified by faith in Christ. And then just in case you still didn't get it. And not by works of the law. Could it be any clearer? And you think, well, why do so many people think it's keeping the law, keeping the law, keeping... I try to keep the Ten Commandments. You think you're going to heaven? Well, I try to keep... You know why? Because we are a works-oriented creature. And we are arrogant, prideful. Give me a system. Give me a list. Give me something to work so I can feel like I'm part of this. I'm not a loser. I'm not a miserable, wretched sinner. I bring to the table some great potential. God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. All right? Think how often in the Gospels people came to Christ and said, Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's always been our problem. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. It's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. you got to get this. And get this. The Bible doesn't have two ways to get saved. The Bible does not have two systems and two ways to get right with God. People in the Old Testament were not saved by keeping the law. You hear people say that. Oh, in the Old Testament, people were saved by keeping the law and sacrificing animals and obeying People in the New Testament now, praise God, we're saved by grace and what Christ has done. And not true. Bible doesn't teach that. Bible does not teach two ways of getting saved. Get this. Everyone prior to Christ, prior to Christ coming and dying on the cross for our sins and rising again, everyone prior to that great historical event looked forward Look forward to the promised Redeemer, Messiah, Savior that God said was coming. And they were saved when they believed God and His promises. And they did these sacrifices as a symbol of what was to come. Everybody since Christ died and rose again looks back on this great event in faith and the promises of God that He came and did what God said He would do and rose again and is who He says. They look forward, we look back, but everybody is saved by faith in the promises of God who said, I will send a Savior to solve your biggest problem. Don't buy into, some are saved by works, some are saved by love. Nobody's ever been saved by works or keeping the law. You say, Brad, you're just making this up because you're a big grace guy? No, it's because the Bible teaches it. You say, show me. Good, I will. Romans 4. Keep your place in Galatians because we're going to come back. But Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. And verse 2. Romans chapter 4, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by work. All right, let's get this historically. Where was Abraham? In relation to Jesus Christ and the cross and resurrection. Before, Old Testament. Way back there. Way, 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 way back. During that time that some might think, well, he was saved by works. Watch what Paul says. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast. But not before God. He said, there's nobody boasting before God. Salvation is not something you can boast in because it's not something you do. It's not your effort, your works. God designed salvation so that you are just At his mercy, looking to a savior, nobody is saved by works. You'd have something to boast in, but not before God. You don't. You don't. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Guess what? 
That word accounted is the same word we looked at last week in Romans 6, 11, where it says, reckon yourselves to be dead. And I said that word reckon is an accounting term. Mark it down. Calculate it. Put it on your ledger. This is a done deal. Boom. Same word, logizase. In fact, he uses that word, logizase, in Romans chapter 4 about eight or nine times. That you can mark it down, mark it down, mark it down, that you're justified not by works, but when you believe God, his promise, that he is who he says he is, and he's done what he said he would do. Abraham looked forward to that promised day and believed God. And the righteousness of God was given to his account. Not by his good works, not by his effort, not by his merit, but by his faith in God. He believed God. No one's ever been saved by the law or by works. No one. No one will be in heaven as the result of keeping the law. The law's never saved anybody because it can't, because it wasn't designed to do that. Now turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. All right, if you read Galatians 3 and 4, and you really ought to, you ought to read the whole book of Galatians. You can read the whole book of Galatians in like 25 minutes. It is so good. But if you read Galatians 3 and 4, you will see that this yoke of slavery that Paul is talking about in Galatians 5.1 is that old system, that law, that old covenant of do's and don'ts. You'll find out that that is the yoke of slavery he's talking about. So he's saying that the law serves as a yoke. He's not saying the law is bad. He's just telling you what it does. The law serves as a yoke. And if you know anything about a yoke, you put a yoke on a cow or an ox to control the animal to some degree. But does that yoke change that animal? Does it change the nut? When you put that yoke on the cow, does it become a horse or a chicken? Still got the nature of a cow, right? A yoked cow that can be controlled a little better from the outside, externally, with some pressure, but it's still a cow. Guess what? Same with the law. The law can control you some from the outside, but it cannot change your very nature. You would still be a sinner on your way to hell apart from Christ. The law can't change you because it wasn't designed to do that. You're using it for the wrong purpose. And here, there's a greater danger than me just telling you, it doesn't work. Don't do that. It doesn't work. There's something worse about trying to do this. And it's just so common that people try to take the law and use the law. And they think, if I keep the law, it'll change me. I'll become better. I'll do better. God will accept me. I'll go to heaven. Two dangers. When you begin to try to use the law for what it was not designed to do to save yourself and to change you. Two dangers. Two ditches to fall into. Number one, you just might begin to do what you think is a pretty good job of keeping the law. Some of you have the personality that like, you can get it done. Get her done. You can work pretty hard and you're a fairly disciplined person. It's just the way you're wired. And then you go around comparing yourself to others. If everybody else would just work as hard as me. and And now you are a self righteous Pharisee in a worse condition than you were before because now you don't even see your need for the gospel or a savior. Does that make sense? Now you're deceiving yourself as to how good you're doing anyway, but 
We have ways of doing this, and you always just find someone behind you to compare yourself to that's lower than you, that's doing worse than you. So there's this danger. If you take the law and try to use that as a means of salvation to change yourself, you just might start doing what you think is a pretty good job, and you become a self-righteous Pharisee, all caught up in yourself and what you're doing, and you don't even see your need for a Savior and the gospel, and you're in worse condition. The other possibility is when you take the law and try to do this, you fail miserably. Over and over and over. And you spiral in and just spin deeper and deeper into a hopeless state of despair. Thinking, I just can't do it. And you just resurrect your effort every now and then and take a new stab at it. And you rally yourself maybe at the beginning of a new year and give it another shot again. So, the ditch of despair and hopelessness. Or the ditch of arrogant, self-righteous Phariseeism is where you end up. When you take the law and try to use it for what it was not designed to do to actually change you. Does that make sense? The law was meant to control you, a yoke, but it can't change your nature. It can't change who you are by any means because God did not design it to do so. That's why Paul gives us the warning in Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which, which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again to a yoke of slavery and he's going to tell us why he's given us this warning why is it so serious paul what why are you so worked up what's the what's the danger here well he's going to answer the question in verse four of galatians five if you take the law and begin to try to use it for saving yourself and earning and meriting look what he says happens verse four you have become estranged from christ You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. This is, I don't want to be in these places. You are cut, one of the translations says you're cut off from Christ. You're alienated from Christ when you do this and you've fallen from grace. This is not good. You don't want to fall from grace and you don't want to be alienated from Christ or estranged from Christ or cut off from Christ because Christ is your only hope. So big danger of what happens when you start to... Because basically, here's what he's saying. There's only two options, law or grace. So get this. Whenever you're running to the law, you're running away from grace and the only Savior that can truly save you. Whenever you're running to the law, clinging to the law... Your whole system is law. You've left grace behind, which means you've left Christ behind because God's word tells us in John 1, the law came through Moses, but... Grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want grace, you want Christ. You need grace, you need Christ. When you run to the law, you're running away from grace and the only Savior that can actually save you. Number two, what's the purpose of the law, Brad? The law was meant to lead you to Christ. So it's not bad. It's not bad. It was meant to lead you to Christ, but not take his place. Lead you to Christ, not take his place. See, under the old covenant, the law was meant to guard us and guide us. Give you some guardrails in your life. To guard us and guide us and move you in a direction for you to see your need of Christ. To lead you to Christ. To lead you to Christ. That's the purpose of the law. I grew up in Tennessee. and actually made a trip to Graceland in Memphis shortly after Elvis died. I'm no big fan. I don't have any CDs of his. But still very interesting. 
Made a trip to Graceland in Memphis shortly after he died. If you've ever been to a place like Graceland, then you know it's packed with avid, more like rabid, fans. I mean, rabid, avid fans who are either deeply grieving the loss of their hero or still living in total denial that they've even died. Awkward, weird. But that's what's going on at places like this. So imagine this with that kind of crowd. Imagine, if you would, paying, and you're going to pay a hefty sum, paying to get the tour of Graceland because you want to learn more about Elvis. And as they gather you, that's what they did with us in the parking lot out front before you even go in, the tour guide says, my name's Ed Sneffel. I've been doing this for 10 years, but today I'm going to do something different. And he whips out his smartphone and begins to flip through pictures of his wife and kids. You'd all just kind of be looking at each other like, we don't care. We don't know you, Ed. We didn't come for this. We didn't pay for this. And then he leads you inside and you get into Elvis's den like we did. And there's a bank of televisions, which I'm sure was just really cool in his day. There were big, fuddy-duddy televisions. It's no big deal today. But it's like four televisions in his den with red shag carpet. Wow. And you're expecting to see video clips of Elvis in concert, some of his bad B-movies. But instead, once again, it's video clips of Ed Sneffel and his family. Births of his children, t-ball games, graduations. Would you not be offended and shocked at the behavior of the tour guide. Why? Because the tour guide is supposed to introduce you to Elvis, not take his place. That is the role of the law. The law was meant to lead you to Christ, to guide you to Christ, not take his place. You don't stay with the law. You don't cling to the law. It's to get you to Christ, Christ, Christ. Not to take his place. Let me show you how the Bible explains this in Galatians chapter 3. Look at Galatians 3, verse 23 to 25. Galatians 3, 23 to 25. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. So see, you were under law. But there's a purpose. Not forever. Not forever. Not for a lifetime. Not as your means of hope and transformation. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're a Christian, then you don't need the law to be your tutor You've met the headmaster, Jesus Christ. Leave the tutor behind and sit at the feet of the master, Jesus Christ, and learn from him. Be thankful for the law that that showed you who you really were and your need for a savior. But you go to the savior and you spend time with Christ and he changes you from the inside out. The law was meant to lead you to Christ, not take his place. Fall in love with Christ, the master And he's not all about regulations and a list. He's about a relationship and love. Now, don't hear me saying, oh, goody, I get to do whatever I want. Now, when you truly know Christ and he lives in you, you don't want to do what 
what you used to do. You want to live from, but you're motivated not out of fear and guilt like the thundering of the law breathing down your neck. You're motivated out of love for what he's already done for you and you know he's already accepted you completely and given you his righteousness and there's no condemnation and the wrath of God has turned back and his love for you is not based this day on your behavior or your obedience. That's settled and Christ makes intercession for you as your advocate day and night and the Father loves you and accepts you on your worst day and on your best day no different because it's based on Christ who never changes. The same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Christians have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And we pursue holiness motivated by love and Christ. We're following Christ. Our eyes are fixed on a person, not a list, not law, not a legal code, not a system. It's a person. It's a relationship. In fact... That relationship is one of the most intimate that we know of in life. Jesus, yes, is called a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus, yes, is called many things in relationship to you. But here's one of them. Maybe you didn't know this. When you become a Christian by putting your faith in Christ and crying out for mercy, you are married to Christ. And he's the best He's the best groom in the world. He loves you. He's for you. He helps you. He delights in you. It's not a list that you have anymore. It's a love relationship with Jesus Christ who is your bridegroom, your husband now. Let me show you in Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You are married to Christ now. You have a relationship. It's not all about regulations. It's relationship. Number three. So the law was meant to control you but can't change you. The law was meant to lead you to Christ, not take his place. And thirdly, the law was meant to, look at me, expose you but could never clothe you. With the righteousness of God in Christ. It was meant to expose you, but it can never clothe you with the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want someone just telling me how bad I am continually. Help me out. Give me some help. Give me a remedy, a solution. But see, the law can't do that. The law is not solution oriented. The law is a whistleblower. It just tells you when you cross the line. Throws the flag, throws the flag, throws the flag. And God's word tells us in Romans 2, you got the law written on your heart, either excusing you or accusing you constantly that there's a right and a wrong. But the law never sits down with you and says, here, let me help you. Let me help you change. Let me give you a remedy so you won't keep doing this. The law doesn't talk that way because the law doesn't work that way because God didn't design it to work that way. But is it bad? No. Until I realize how I'm transgressing, I don't see my need for a, say it, Savior. The law's good. It exposes you, but it can never clothe you with the righteousness. But until you see who you really are, that you're naked before God and bring nothing to the table, and you don't have what you need, you don't have righteousness, you can never earn it or gain it or merit it, you wouldn't be interested in a Savior. You'd still be so caught up in yourself. Exposes us. Let me illustrate it. To you by talking about your mom. I don't even have to know your mom, but I just know how moms are. And your mom might be dead, but as I tell you this, I bet most of you are gonna hear her voice and remember this. 
Remember when you were a little kid and you'd be like playing in the mud or you would have put six inches of water in the basement to float your boats, just done something that just delighted you and you weren't even thinking, this is bad, this is a problem. And she comes down to throw a load of laundry in and steps in water and is like, oh! And she says, look at you! What were you thinking? What are you doing? And then they always call you by your full name. Bradley, John, Bigney, what are you thinking? Look at... That's what moms do. Really, really big trouble. Guess what? That's what the law does. The law is your mom, not your friend. Don't hear, don't hear me saying moms are bad. But the same way when you're raising kids, right? If you try to be their friend, it just it doesn't work well. You've got to be willing to not be liked. You're the mom, not their friend. The law is not your friend. It's your mom that helps you see what you're not seeing and recognize what you're oblivious to, right? See, the law is like a mirror, folks. It shows you who you really are, and you weren't seeing it. That's what the law does. Look at you. Look at you. What were you thinking? Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Because we tend to have a higher opinion of ourselves than we should, and the law says, uh-uh, look at that. But listen, can a mirror change you? Tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off and you stumble into the bathroom, flip the light on. I hope you just don't just stand there looking and say, oh, my word, look at that hair, if you have hair. And think, if I look at this long enough, it'll get better. It will not get better. That mirror cannot change you, but it can expose you and show you who you really are. That's the same as the law. The law was meant to expose us but can't clothe us with the righteousness of God in Christ because it wasn't meant to do that. That's why Romans 3 verse 20 says, Therefore by the lead deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of what? That's how I know I'm a sinner. I begin to see I'm a sinner because of God's law. I realize, ah, not as good as I thought. Ah, not bad, it's good, but it can't save you. It drives you to Christ. The law was meant to control you, but can't change you. The law was meant to lead you to Christ, not take his place. The law was meant to expose you, but could never clothe you with the righteousness of God in Christ. So how are we free from the law now as Christians? Well, Romans chapter 7 verse 6 tells us, But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, And not in the oldness of the letter. So it's this new love relationship rather than regulations that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 2. When he says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. See, it's an inside job rather than external. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. How do I live it? By trying to keep the law? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. When you run back to the law and you cling to the law, you're setting aside the grace of God. And you'll never get it done. You can't do that. It won't work. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law... Then Christ died in vain. Folks, if the law could save you, Christ wouldn't have taken on flesh, landed in a manger, walked this earth, felt all that we felt, lived a perfect life, and then died a horrific death, taking on him the sins of us all. 
If righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. I've got news for you. He didn't die in vain. We needed a savior. And God has provided and done for us what we could never do for ourselves. The law was meant to control you but can't change you, lead you to Christ, not take his place, expose you, but can't clothe you. What about you today? What do you have? Spiritually, what do you have in your life right now if you say you're a Christian? What do you have? Law or a love relationship? Intimidation, fear of the law, or intimacy? In a love marriage relationship with the best groom in the world, Jesus Christ. Which do you have? Do you have a list in your hand or do you have love? And don't hear me saying if you've got love and you've got Jesus, there's nothing you need to do. I'm not saying that. But oh, how you do it and why you do it is so different. You don't do it out of fear. He loves you. He's for you on your best day and on your worst day. And he lives in you. And you do these things from the inside out, empowered by him. He helps you by his grace. So yes, I pursue holiness. Yes, I want to put off and put on. Yes, I want to please him. But it's not out of fear and saying, I hope I can do enough that he'll love me. He loves me in Christ. And that will never change. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. We're going to get there in Romans 8 in a year. Romans 8. Nothing can separate me from the love. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what you have as a Christian. And that's what it means to be a Christian. If what you have is not a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have the real thing. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. You don't have to give a penny in the, in the offering, but you don't have to sign a card. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to do anything here for us. You look to Christ and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, that he did what scripture says he did, and he will save you forgive you, come into your life, help you, and never leave you. Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. Thank you for grace that you're, you're willing to move us from under law to under grace and make us objects of mercy, mercy. Your adopted sons and daughters clothed in a robe of righteousness. Oh, God, thank you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.